Screw it, screw it, we're just going to talk about comics. Hello, welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books. Uh, this is a podcast where two brothers talk about comic books they have loved a lot their whole lives. I'm one of the two said brothers. My name is Will Hines. I am the other said brother, and my name is Kevin Hines. Uh, Kevin and I are comedians. Uh, we are performers and teachers at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theaters. Me, Will, is in Los Angeles, and Kevin is in New York. Yep, that's right. Uh, we're separated by all the other states, mm-hmm. except for, I guess, Hawaii. Uh, Hawaii is coolly staying out of it, but the rest of the yeah, states yeah. Uh, have committed to keeping Kevin and I separated. That's right. Um, and yeah, that's uh, uh, that's who we are. And we are covering this season the Jack Kirby Stan Lee Fantastic Four comics, which is 102 issues plus... I think five annuals with new material. Yeah. And which is a lot. It's a lot. And we're doing it, luckily, in the most confusing way possible. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're just going to make it more confusing soon. Because, like, we'll break it. We'll do a chunk of books. And then in one episode, we'll recap all the plots. Because that's fun. And then in the yeah. next episode, we will do analysis of those same things. But then, Kevin, we also, we're making a change to that for the next yeah, couple episodes. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, I guess some backstory, the 102 issues intimidated us. Yes. We didn't want to do 102 episodes. Right. We were like, we'll die. We'll be dead before it's over. We can't convert numbers to weeks very easily. So we're like, we don't have enough lifespan left to do that. So we thought about doing it in these chunks. Um, but the stuff we really, really are excited about to cover is starts next next episode. Yeah. And like, so we're going to, we're shrinking the chunks down small enough for the next sort of stretch of issues that we don't need to do two episodes per chunk. Yeah. I think we also won't be able to control ourselves from analyzing while we recap. Yeah. Because these issues are so exciting to us. So uh, next episode, we are only going to cover issues 44 to 47. So that's only four issues. Yeah. Uh, And then we'll do 48 to 50 and then we'll do 51 to 53. And then after that, we'll probably do, two giant chunk episodes through yeah. kind of the rest of it, which have some good stuff, but not necessarily enough stuff. And we probably won't recap every issue because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, that is, you know, <laughs> over 50 issues. Yeah. After our favorite stories. Um, yeah. So next episode, we're going to just focus on four issues and what I expect will be a tidy 10 hour episode. Yeah. And that's going to focus a lot on the inhumans who, as we've talked a little bit about, uh, don't interest me in theory, but in these issues interest me uh, hugely. I love them in these comics. And, yeah. I, and I still uh, you can't figure alert. out why. I don't know why. Yeah. They seem like a bad idea, but they're awesome. There's parts of them that I don't like. Uh, if you describe them to me and said, this is what I'm going to do with the Fantastic Four comic. We're going to send spend half the issue on these other characters with weird powers that don't really uh, involve the FF sometimes. <laughs> and I'd be like, well, that seems like a bad idea. Yeah. But those are some of my favorite issues. So it worked. It's a good thing there was not a, a non Stanley editor on these books or he would have vetoed almost every idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, so next episode will be focusing mostly on the Inhumans. So they will stick around for a while longer, even after that arc. So 44 to 47. And then after that, we'll cover Galactus mm-hmm. with 48 to 50. Exciting. Um, and then this man, this monster, and the Black Panther story, 51 to 53. Pretty great. This so. episode, Kevin, we are doing something, nothing to do with any of that. We're, we're doing right. an analysis of the last chunk of issues, which, which is 35, 35 through 40 43 and annual three. Three? Three, yeah. Um, which we talked about last episode. So if you haven't watched, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you can probably still follow along. <laughs> it probably doesn't matter. But, but um, but this is really like part two of that episode. Yeah. Um. Phew. Great. It's, it's easy and clear. It's all easy the, and clear. All you need to know is we did an intro episode where we described the format that we changed after that intro episode. <laughs> That's right. Where we did a we, moved into the recap slash analysis format, and now we're getting rid of that for a while. Yeah. Okay. Basically, every time we announce what's coming up, we change our minds and yeah. do something different. I really do believe that, let's say, Kevin, you and I are doing this podcast for the next 75 years. Mm-hmm. 
this season will be looked upon as like the wire season two where it's good, but everybody skips it because it's like, what, what are you doing here? It's like kind of separate from everything else, which is a shame because it is probably some of the most important comics Marvel's ever made. Right. We blew it in a way. Sorry. Sorry, Stan. Sorry, Jack. No one will ever know who you are. (laughs) Yeah. Um, do you know, I do. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, um, you don't know who they are. I've, I, I mean, I'm working it out through context clues of talking to you, but I don't really know who Stanley and Jack Kirby are. Okay. Um, That's fair. I think I just thought of a question for later in the episode. All right. So, Kevin, let's get into our analysis. We have segments to guide us through this analysis. Yes. Um, so we're going to, like like Kevin said, we're, we're doing an analysis of issues uh, 35 through 43 and plus annual three. Uh, last episode, the recap episode, that is a segment called Revolt and No, it's not. The Watcher Watches. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. We also named all these segments. And so if you don't remember those titles, I don't know how you can follow along without knowing that. Yeah, or even knowing it. And Um, so now we're going to do a segment called Revolting Developments, where we check in with our main characters and we see how they've changed over this chunk of issues. That's right. So let's do that now. Reed Richards. Uh, so great. So Reed Richards, uh, during this run, gets engaged and yep. gets married. Um, yeah. Those are basically it. I don't think he changes personality-wise. I don't think he has, like, any huge moments. Yeah. He, he's settled into his kind of angry, bossy, I'm smart because I'm telling you I'm smart dude. Yeah. He's not full-on jerk to Sue yet. Although he, he will be still there post-married. But, um... His personality seems kind of set for now, but, you know, uh, in terms of plots in his life, yeah, he gets engaged and married. There's been a love triangle at some points where Sue was considering perhaps dating uh, Prince Namor, uh, the Submariner, uh, or at the very least she was flattered that he liked her, but that that is in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of it for Reed, right? Yeah, I don't have, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't see a ton for Reed in these stories. Um, you know, I think we talked a little bit about last analysis that he's kind of moved into a more macho, strapping, strong, leading man character. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's still there. You know, he fights mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. F- like with his fists just as much as his brain. Right. Um, though I, you know, I think most people are more interested in him for his brain. But uh, yeah, that's all there. But I think that was all there last batch, too. So that's yeah. me saying it's a long way of saying. I don't have anything to say. Okay. Let's go on to um, Ben Grimm. Let's save Ben for last. Oh, because we're doing a deep dive on Ben. That's right. Let's do um, Sue Storm. Great. Um, Sue has a little bit of, um, I mean, she also gets engaged and gets married. Right. So that also happens. Uh, This is the first full arc that we're covering where she has her force fields. Yeah. And she begins to use them offensively. Yes. Like she's like shoots little force field balls at people. Yeah. Uh, and in general just becomes a more offensive character, which it was long overdue. I mean, every superhero comic has a fight pretty much. I mean, every now and then you get one that doesn't, but generally speaking, that's the formula. There's going to be some fight where everybody uses their powers. And Sue has been se- severely limited pre force fields. Cause all she could do is like vanish, but now she's got these force fields. And so she, now she's a major part of the battle. So Sue's getting like more real estate in the stories. She's just like part of these fights a lot more. Yeah. Uh, uh, and there's also a fun thing where after she gets engaged, she demands that Reed and the EFF help her get revenge on the scrolls who killed her father. That is really fun. It's kind of a short moment in terms of like how many panels it takes up, but um, yeah. that could it's have a been a dark turn. Yeah. It could have been a, a big story point if they'd kind of framed it right. Like this person who's mostly just usually, or I would say even devoid of personality speaks up and is like, I demand revenge. <laughs> yeah. We're going to go to another planet and kill some aliens who, who killed my dad. Yeah. That is, that uh, is cool. That's a, and it's a dark turn from someone who spent a lot of the early issues designing costumes. Uh, let's do Johnny Storm, the Human Torch. Great. Uh, Johnny uh, doesn't have a ton of big time development, but he's got a f- cool little moment where during a story arc where Ben Grimm, the thing, is uh, hypnotized by the Frightful Four into being evil. Yes. Johnny also pretends to be hypnotized and joins in with them. 
Right. Um, and that's a really cool, less like Johnny's normally like just goes in and shoots flames. That's like sort of a smart move. Yeah. He's, um, he's more um, scheming than we realized. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's a really cool moment. It, like you said about Sue, it doesn't get the depth you would want to read about. I think that's a really cool story idea. Yeah. Johnny being sort of a undercover. Yeah. As a villain. Uh, but it's a cool moment. It's a cool reveal. It isn't given away in the dialogue, really. It's played straight in a way that makes me think, like, maybe Stan and Jack changed their minds and decided to make him pretending. But yeah, maybe even they didn't I know. I think it was all there, but I, it's hard to know. It It's not like there's a thought bubble where Johnny goes, I'm going to pretend to be evil. Which does seem like normally how they would do it in these comics. Yeah. Like you'd be in on it the whole time. Right. Um, it's kind of fun. It was really fun. It also speaks. Uh, it, it also says something about the Fantastic Four, where it's totally possible that Kirby started the story where Johnny gets brainwashed, and then next issue is like, ah, you know what? I'm gonna have it be that he was in on it the whole. You know that he was lying the whole time. Yeah, because there's no reason given why Johnny can resist the wizards brainwashing, but Ben couldn't. Yeah, not really. Other than maybe, I, no, there's no real reason. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna make up one. I could no prize it. But. You could no prize it. Yeah, like. Johnny isn't normally shown to be like smarter than Ben by any stretch. Um, Not normally. But maybe he knew he was what he was in for because he knows what happened to Ben so he could prepare himself. Like that's reasonable. Kevin, you just got yourself a no prize. Oh, great. I can't wait. Um, But yeah, as far as uh, development of the characters, there isn't a ton. Uh, They've all kind of settled into who they are. There'll be slight changes, which is another reason why I think we're not doing this segment for the next few episodes, because even though those issues are huge, these the guys are kind of settled into place. Yeah. yeah. They went through huge changes in the first batches of issues, but now they're kind of settling. Yeah, that's right. Um, you want to also talk about the character development of Dr. Doom, the sort of main villain of the Fantastic Four? Yeah, uh, just because I think he is sort of the fifth character of this book. He shows up so often. Right. Um this, I think, is my favorite Doom story in the Kirby run. Um, oh, interesting. The one where he takes over the Baxter building and sort of attacks the FF while they're powerless and trying to get back to their building. And it ends with the thing crushing Doom's hands. Yeah. And I think it is the best Doom story. He's the least ridiculous in it. Yeah, Doom is starting to become a real villain with, you know, coherent plans and not just like generic bad guy who declares he'll take over the world at every turn yeah it's less stealing money from blackbeard the pirate (laughs) and taking over the microverse and more just like getting revenge on reed richards for making him a fool yeah and i think that works really well for him yeah he he just seems i mean he still has he's still called dr doom and prone (laughs) to long speeches yeah uh but he seems more real yeah if that makes sense yeah um and, uh, you know, the stories in general are getting better and stronger and sort of yeah. like uh, Kirby is, you know, who's always been great, is getting even greater. And so the Doom stories have a suspense to them. The Baxter, the Battle of the Baxter Building uh, has like real good pace and yeah. stakes and um, and it has a great ending. And there's probably only two more Doom stories after this one, right? There's the one where he gets the surfer's powers. I love that one, too. Um, and then there's another one after that where he takes on the FF. And uh, that one doesn't really stand out to me other than crystals on the FF at that time. Right, right, right. Yeah, this might be the big one. Yeah. Um, um, way to go, Doom. Yeah. So now we're that's we're done with that segment, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the end of Revolt and Developments. Okay, so now we're going to do our next segment, which is this man, this in-depth look at a monster, where we take one of the characters and do a particular, particularly deep dive, and we're going to do that on maybe the main character of all of Fantastic Four, Ben Grimm the Thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's probably, and I say that, uh, apologies to our Human Torch correspondent, he's <laughs> probably the most important member of the team. Yeah. Um, He's definitely sort of like the one who becomes a well-rounded character first and stays that way. He, I think he's kind of like the best known character in terms of what his personality is. Like if you asked people who are reading Marvel comics, even if they're not big FF fans, they know Ben Grimm's deal, like his 
aura and his attitude, the, the way you kind of know Wolverine's deal, even if you're not an yeah. X-Men fan. Um, but you don't like, you don't, you don't necessarily know like Hawkeye's personality unless you're reading Avengers and Haw- Hawkeye comics. The movies have somewhat changed this, but like, yeah. um, you know, Ben Grimm, Ben Grimm is like in three panels, you can see his personality. Yeah. He's also, uh, he's got the most depth of any of these characters at this point and probably forever. Yeah. Just because he doesn't turn human, right? Just because of this choice that he's always a monster. Yeah. His character is got a level that Reed doesn't have and that Sue doesn't have. And that Johnny, who's probably visit at least visibly the most known character other than Ben. Yeah. Also doesn't have Johnny doesn't have that sort of light layer. He's just like that kid. Yeah. How would you describe Ben Grimm's personality? I would. He's heart first pathos second okay tell me what you mean so he's the heart right he's the he he cares he takes he's gonna do whatever it takes to protect people he cares about and protect the world Mm -hmm. he's never gonna give up um he's gonna do the right thing for the right reason yeah um but pathos because that's always like one step away that he's sort of sad right um even when everything's great and he's like, you know, he lives with a family that loves him. Yeah. Uh, he's Alicia and he have a great relationship. He's beloved in the comics. The nation he's, loves him. He's a hero. He's every superhero likes him. Everyone trusts him and respects him, even though he's sort of this blue collar guy. Yeah. Like every hero of all types. And, and like, I don't think it's, I think like superheroes, and this isn't always portrayed, but I think superheroes probably don't respect Spider-Man. To some extent. Right, right. That that card is always available in the Spider-Man story. Somebody who is suspicious of him or annoyed by him. Right. And it's like, he's really powerful and he's always successful and he does really great work. But at the same time, it's like, uh, do we really want to call Spider-Man to help us? Where I think the <laughs> thing is like, oh, you're always happy to have the thing in your corner. Yeah. Um, uh, but he's sad. You know, he's sad. He's a monster and he always looks like a monster. And when he looks in a mirror, he doesn't see the face that he expects to see in, right. to some extent. Yeah. Um, and that will always have just a little level of uh, everything's great, but why can't I just, if he could turn human into Ben at will, yeah, he'd be, he'd have no problems. Although you get a feeling, yeah, he'd be like Colossus, right? Where yeah. He could just like activate his ability. Um, yeah, Colossus, the happiest of the X-Men. Right. <laughs> um, ben, uh, though, you know, once his personality is kind of, uh, solidified no pun intended he um the sadness seems deeper than just the fact that he's a rock creature you get a feeling that maybe he was always sort of an also ran like maybe didn't get the girl he wanted maybe wasn't quite smart enough to get you get the feeling he's maybe from a poor neighborhood yeah and was kind of maybe knocked around as a kid uh and then or maybe part of gangs or something i mean i know that this is bumps up against some of the facts like Really, he went to college on a football scholarship and he was like a fighter pilot, like a respected fighter pilot in the war. So really, he had status at all times. But I'm just saying his personality. He seems like the kind of guy that's like, oh, shucks, a big galoot like me. You know, what do you want? What are you messing around with a big galoot like me for? There's also feeling, despite at one point Reed tossing out the line, you've got two degrees from college. Um, But Ben also has a feeling that like he's not the he's the dumbest of the Fantastic Four in some ways. Yeah, he's well, he's definitely the kind of character who will say something. Hey, Shakespeare, want to say that in English? Like, yeah, something like that. I mean, that. Reed is obviously one of the smartest people in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Um, and Sue isn't necessarily portrayed that, but she's portrayed as like very competent and de- definitely like very of a class level, you know, like of a society that's a little higher level and just sort of like knows what's knows what's up, you know, uh, basically she's a one percenter maybe. Um, so maybe we should hate her. Uh, and Johnny has had an easy life. Like everyone likes him. He can fix cars. Uh, he's like everything he's ever tried to do. He's been pretty good at where Ben does seem like somebody who probably had to work really hard at everything. And so because of that, he like looks at these other three and goes like, oh, imposter syndrome. I don't belong. I'm yeah. not. I shouldn't be in the FF. You can easily. I mean, he has quit several times and you can easily yeah. imagine that that's authentic, that he's just sort of like, ah, what am I doing here? I'm wasting my time. Me, an elemental of the earth. 
<laughs> yeah, right, right. But there's so many strong guys to replace him with. He uh, that's if all he is is a pair of fists. Yeah, in his head. I guess in the Marvel universe, really being made of rocks can be mundane. Yeah, uh, he. Um, it's. It, I want to say an interesting thing about like the Fantastic Four and also comic books in general, and also just like storytelling in general. There's like there's what the story tells you you should think about characters in Stan Lee comics, especially there's often captions that are like, or dialogue that is like, you are the smartest person. I'm doing this because of you, blah, blah, blah. But sometimes as a reader, you agree with that. And sometimes you're like, no, that's not the way these people are. You, you yeah. start, you start getting an opinion about the characters and what they're really like different, even than the creators are telling you, you should think like Ben's sadness well, okay, the, the initial character of Ben Grimm was quite different. He was like an angry, scary uh, man who was v- vengefully angry that he was a monster and sort of tortured. Yeah. That didn't last too temper. long. temper. Yeah, but that, that was him at first, which on paper makes a sort of logical sense. You turn this guy into a permanent monster and therefore he is mad. Also, that sort of monstrous temperament goes with his look, sort of. He, lo- he looks like a monster, so he acts like one. Yes. And he um, looked way more like a monster in those first eight yes. or so issues. He, when his rocks get a little more clean, he looks more mascotty, more sweet. <laughs> yes. But um, I think it's interesting how as the comic evolves, um, they go away from this plan of Ben being angry and Ben starts becoming sweeter and nicer and sort of cuter in his personality, uh, more accessible to the point where he's the friendliest and warmest member of the team. Um he seems like most prone to flattery and most like he'd actually laugh at a joke. Uh, seems like he would never bully anybody. Um, and I don't know how much of that was by design and how much of it just kind of happened through momentum, like a little bit this issue, a little bit this issue. And because, I mean, the Fantastic Four is bad because it's not planned and it's great because it's not planned. Things sort of organically evolve over the course of this series. I love it. Yeah. And I, and I think it's even funny, in the I think first, the fans were on to what Ben was like before even Stan and Jack were. Even in the first issue where he meets Alicia, I think in that issue he has like a temper tantrum and he like storms out and he like trashes things. But then there's also moments where Alicia says, oh, you're like a really nice guy. And he goes, oh, you get me. And then he's sort of sweeter for the rest of the issue. And even though I think that was just like Stan and Jack kind of creating a story as they went. It just showed like, oh, this character is changing and they can't stop it. Mm-hmm. They they can't have this angry character and sustain him in this book. Yeah, he's he has to be in a place of contentment with himself. And the book needed a heart. It didn't have that beforehand. Yeah, it, it was wasn't all, getting it from Reed. It, was it wasn't people, getting it from Sue and yeah. it wasn't getting it from Johnny. Right. Johnny's kind of a bully a little bit. Not really. He We know he's a good guy. But compared to Ben, he's you can see Johnny being kind of mean, you know. Like kind of, la- you know, Ben could fall down and Johnny would just howl with laughter or something like that. Um, and but you can't imagine. I don't know. Like, Ben, you feel like he's sweet. Uh, it's weird how that comes through slowly. Um, yeah, there's also um, uh, there's also the, the fact that he's not truly part of the family. Right. Right. There's a couple and then the wife's brother. And then he's a yeah. like friend of the groom. Right. And that no matter what you do, you're not as much a part of that family. Did they ever do something where like Ben had a crush on Sue? Or in even, the early issues, it seems like that's in there. But that was never a big part, right? Was there ever an FF arc like later on where somebody retroactively showed the FF as younger people and Ben having a crush on Sue or something? I think I think that is in there once in a while. I think some writers play that up and some writers de-emphasize it because it just I think it isn't. I don't like it. Well, it seems like just sort of too easy, right? Like these are our yeah. main characters. Let's have them all have crushes on each other at some point. Yeah. Um, I, it's, um, I, I think I, I, I guess I don't know how to articulate it well, but the Fantastic Four to me is both badly planned in a good way and badly badly planned in a bad way. Like it shifts and it's all over the place, and that feels kind of bad. But then it lets the good thing, the good decisions, eventually start getting made. Like in the issues we're about to get into. I mean, also, if it was completely planned, it probably wouldn't work as well. It would seem too pat. It would seem too tied up. Yeah. 
This is one of the big advantages I think that Marvel had over DC in the sixties was it was just Stan and the artist, just two guys, yeah. uh, should have been women also, but two people. And, um, and, uh, they don't have to run it by anybody else. Martin Goodman, the publisher isn't watching the content of the stories. Not too much. No, no, maybe here or there in a broad strokes way, worrying about the cover or something, but he's not micromanaging it. So it's like pretty much just these two people, meaning if they think something's fun, they do it. If they think something is enough of a justification for a villain, they do it. If they don't even think something's enough of a justification, but the deadline is upon them, well, we'll put a speech balloon in here addressing it and send it out. Yeah. And that sloppiness weirdly makes Marvel Comics of this era seem more alive, like more authentic than than lots of other comics I've read. Maybe of all superhero comics, 60s Marvel Comics are the most like raw and unpredictable in a great way. Yeah. And it's probably a combination of what you're saying, the sort of like uh, off the cuff rapid fire and, and yeah, just doing what they want. And there's also these continuing stories. Cause I think there was also probably an aspect of that in the old, old comics, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like serials, um, but they're, but they're, they were just like done in one story. There was like an origin and then another adventure, and another adventure. And because these stories built on each other, and the status quo would change here and there it necessitated like decisions that they didn't have time to think through. You know, we were saying at the beginning of this episode that, you know, we've been changing our format every time and we said we were going to do one thing and then we do something else. And in yeah. a way we are being like the fantastic four comics. Oh, this, this is like a clever decision <laughs> by us to demonstrate what it would be like to read Marvel comics. Like we're sort of figuring out, what our Fantastic Four season is as we go. Like we're realizing, well, you know what? We should be doing this. Yeah. Ah, we should be doing this. And season 10, the Kurt Busick, who's <laughs> doing our podcast for us, will go back and retroactively make this season make complete sense <laughs> and be really look like, oh, that season was brilliant. Didn't you read the, the Marvel's version of this? Who's the name of the guy that does all the brilliant covers? Alex somebody? Alex Ross. Yeah, he'll do like podcast art for our at that point, you know, he'll like really humanize us. We're going to, we're going to look like oil paintings in the, uh, in the little thumbnail. Yeah. So you're welcome. Podcast <laughs> audience. Uh, I want to talk just a tiny bit more just about future Ben stuff that's okay. coming up. Yeah. That we're not going to get into in our podcast. Yeah. Um, one thing is uh, just going back to how uh, he's not part of the family. It, I think it's a really smart move. I, I don't know how much Stan thought it through, but when they finally name, uh, Reed and Sue's child, they give him the middle name Benjamin. Right. And in the comic, Ben makes a huge deal about it. And he's like a little silly about it. And he like gets so excited that his name is in there. Yeah. Almost for a laughs. But I do think in a way it shows how important Ben is to this family that he's not a part of. Right. And there was a Carl Kessel written comic that I can't remember whether it was a one shot or an annual or what it was. But Carl Kessel is a huge Fantastic Four fan who never really got a long run on the book inked it a lot but never wrote it um and he did a story where in that story never wrote it he wrote a few issues but he never wrote like a run okay he never got i think he would have always loved to have been like hey you're the fantastic four writer okay right and he never got that opportunity but he did some stories and in this one there was definitely a story where franklin um is talking to ben and ben's like well i'm not really part of this family i'm not related to you I'm not in the family. I'm just like a friend. And he's like, well, how do you know? And, you know, there's like little kid, Franklin. He's like, how do you know who's in the family? He's like, well, your last name is Richards. Your dad and mom's last name is Richards. And Johnny Storm and Sue have the same last name or they did when they were kids. Mm-hmm. That's how, that's mm-hmm. whose family. He's like, well, my name, I share a name with you. Oh, I love so it. Aren't, so aren't we family? Yeah. And it's like, I remember reading that and going, oh, this hit it's, me so hard. Oh, it's nice. That's good. And, I, and I'm mangling this, the retelling of it because I haven't read it in forever. But I remember reading that moment and it's just like, oh, you feel how emotional that must have made Ben. Uh, and, he, and Ben basically goes, yeah, you're right. I am your family. Um, you have a son with a name. Why don't yes. you talk about the naming of your son, uh, Cameron uh, Michael? So, yeah. So Cameron's first name is our mom's maiden name. Right. Uh, so uh, he, I, could, I couldn't I didn't name him Anne after my mom, <laughs> but I could name him Cameron. Uh, after her maiden name and her yeah, the name of her, her sisters and, and brother and yeah. And so name. sort of that whole side of the family is also in his name. 
So uh, you're connecting him to that in a way. You're using a name to connect him to that. Yeah, our mother died when we were very young. And so uh, we're, we still talk and spend time and are going to see our family very soon, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not as connected as if our mom was still alive, where right. she would like keep us right. uh, uh, very connected. So I think it definitely helps in that regard. Oh, and then sure. his middle name is uh, uh, Catherine's father. So it's like Michael, one side yeah. from each family. Yeah, it's lovely. It's uh, I think no, please don't use this information to steal my identity. <laughs> uh, I'm going to. Okay, great. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, the FF and also for all of the flaws of Stan and Jack. I mean, they're great. I don't know why people would agree. These are some of the greatest comics ever. These guys are geniuses. But as we're diving deep, we'll often mention the shortcomings, like the female characters are not well done. Characters shift and change a lot. One thing they are good about and Marvel comics in general is throwing in stuff like marriages and children and emo- the soap opera stuff in Marvel comics really starts to take center stage. Uh, Spider-Man most of all, but all the comics start doing that. And um, it's so smart. It's so affecting. It just really grabs you. Um, can I talk just a little bit about Byrne drawn with you? Yes, let's do it. So John Byrne does a run uh, often considered the second best Fantastic Four run. Yeah. Or at least definitely at the time, it was considered the second best Fantastic Four run. And it was the run that we read when we were kids. Like, we that was the current happening run that we yeah. were reading when we were kids. It probably why I really love the Fantastic Four is more to do with that run. Than Kirby. And then going back and reading the old stuff right. than the I, other way around. Same with me. I, I got into the Fantastic Four through John Byrne. But in that run, the thing quits the Fantastic Four. Yes. I think almost more more than half his run or, or about half A, a huge Byrne's time, run. yeah. The thing is not on the team, which is and replaced by She-Hulk, who's a very different personality. Yes, it's such a very gut- comfortable in her powers. She's happy-go-lucky. Uh, uh, she's that's, she's all confidence and kind of charming bravado. There's not a lot of pathos in She-Hulk. It's seeing how the Fantastic Four work without the thing is a very first of all. It's a, I think it's a genius move in retrospect. It's an interesting challenge. You'd be like, can we make this work without the most developed, most beloved character? Let's do the Beatles without John Lennon for a while, sort of. Yeah. Uh, but then the thing also did a solo comic for a long time. Did, and Byrne, did Byrne do that? Byrne wrote it. I think he only drew the first couple issues. Okay, yeah. And like he would, he was for a while on an alien planet, and then he was on Earth, and then he like, I think he joined the West Coast Avengers for a while. Um but I feel like I've read a lot of that stuff and I don't like it that much. Okay. And so I guess my question is, does the thing work as a solo character? Um, should we go into our fantastic chat with that? We can. So we're going to go into a new segment. We can. Should be- we Should we pause and take a break and then go into our fantastic oh, chat? Oh, right. Yeah, you're smart about that. Yeah, let's pause and take a break right here. Then we're going to go into a segment we call fantastic chat. Great. Uh, All right, we'll be right back. Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about or the format of the show or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. Uh, We are back. So, Kevin, let's go into Fantastic Chat because you just sort of inadvertently brought up a good topic for discussion. Maybe we'll we'll have a couple of chat. Does the thing work as a solo character is your topic? Yeah, because I've never – so I've read the John Byrne series or I've tried to – didn't really do much for me. Mm-hmm. There was like Marvel two and one, which I've read some of, but that was more of a team up book. Right. That's the thing. And West- somebody else, every issue. Yeah. There was West coast Avengers. Um, and Dan slot did a very short run with the thing that it only lasted like eight or nine issues. And none of those comics were, first of all, were super successful, which is fair, but also I don't think any of them affected me or reached me in the way that, 
the thing does when he's part of the Fantastic Four. Like when he's I've like never, my favorite part of the Fantastic Four, but then as a solo character, I'm like, yeah, okay. That's interesting. I never thought about that. Like Wolverine works away from the X Men. Um, yeah. Uh, Captain America works away from the Avengers, but uh, maybe the thing doesn't work away from the FF. He's got to be part of a team. It's kind of like um, Nick Fury doesn't really work as a solo character. Like he's got to be with his like either Howling Commandos or Shield weirdos. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know if Nick Fury, I don't know if I've ever read a great Nick Fury story, period. You can't imagine it. Like, he's just, yeah. Um, I'm, but, they you know, might exist. I'm sure the thing, the thing about the, the weird thing about this topic is I'm sure he could work. We know there's been great things, solo issues in the Fantastic yes. Four. And there even have been great things, stories. Like, there's a famous one where he, like, uh, fights the champion in a boxing match or something. Yeah. Um, and there's been a couple great stories but as like a, as an ongoing run yeah sustaining his own story beyond just like a, a done in one like he could do a great thing graphic novel i believe but maybe it just hasn't been done but yeah there's something missing from him as a serial character for me and maybe it's just comparing him to the the other rest of the ff who have sort of everything's working for them that's a good one um okay i have a topic okay this is a we might not, we we're probably not totally equipped to answer this. Although I bet you are more equipped than me. Who do you think are the most important people who worked for Marvel Comics who are not Stanley, Jack Kirby, or Steve Ditko? Uh on the creative side, not business side. Sure. So I guess we're just talking mostly anchors. Go. I would even go up to modern times. Oh, okay. So ever. Yeah. Who's had the biggest impact on Marvel Comics after those three? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's such a our era answer, but it feels like Jim Shooter had a huge impact. Yes. I mean, he's the people he brought in reshaped the company. Uh, and then it wouldn't be out of the realm of expectations to say Joe Casada would mm-hmm. be next in line, who kind of ushered it from sort of this bankrupting company that was losing its uh, focus into this company that makes movies. <laughs> I think if Joe Quesada doesn't take over Marvel or someone like him, I don't know if you get the MCU. Interesting. I wonder, but I don't know if you even get to Joe Quesada without Jim Shooter. It, it feels like when I read, when I read comics that take place before Jim Shooter, they're running they on seems like they're, they're just they copying like they're Stan and Jack. Yeah. They're like running and they're running in place. They don't feel like they're moving forward. I mean, some of that shooter was lucky to have, People like Frank Miller, John Byrne, uh, Chris Claremont. Walt Simonson. Yeah, all these guys sort of around, ready to do these great stories. But like we always say with Stan, he had to be smart enough to let the right people do what they wanted and when to rein them in and when to let them loose. Yeah. Like he decided to move Byrne or let Byrne leave X-Men and do the Fantastic Four, write the uh, Fantastic Four, and was the right choice. Yeah. Uh, I think he made them kill Phoenix after Phoenix killed a planet. Yeah, something that's been undone and redone a number yeah. of times since, but seems like a smart choice to me. Gutsy choice. And even Secret Wars, for all its problems, um, was like kind of a cool idea. Everybody loves even the if Secret it was Wars. just a everybody cell. loves it. <laughs> I think that, a lot of people hate it. Um, uh, but I feel like everybody kind of knows it. Like I, everybody's read that first Secret Wars. Yes. Maybe that's better. Like I, I. I did read Secret Wars too, but I barely remember it. And uh, a lot of the other crossover it, events I haven't read. It definitely started a trend that is terrible. It is a bad <laughs> trend of having to have crossovers constantly. Um, but that first one was such a cool idea. I still think about reading that. And like I know there's pe- people complain a lot about the story and what works and what doesn't work. But as a kid, I remember reading that and just seeing these characters all thrown together and spend time with characters they don't spend like. Spider-Man never spent that much time with Iron Man. <laughs> right. But all of a sudden he was. Yeah. It's cool. And there's something really cool about that even. I wonder was, if there's... It was risky, right? That created status quo changes. Spider-Man changes costume. The thing left the Fantastic Four. Yep. Uh, for a little while, uh, uh, certain villains were taken off the table because of that. And it, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I wonder if there's a name that we don't know because they're just not like... They weren't like the editor in chief or something. Like, I wonder if like Archie Goodwin was like 
I mean, I don't, I don't know much about Archie Goodwin in particular, but one of these guys who seem to edit a lot of books and they touched a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. If like behind the scenes, they were somebody who were one of the big lieutenants who like helped maintain quality over a couple generations or something, you know, I wonder if there's somebody I mean, like that. There for sure could be. Um, Marvel always felt a little, even, even at the eighties when we were reading it, it still felt like a little disorganized. Yeah. Um, to have that really happen. Like you basically needed an uh, overachiever editor who just was like a control freak running the place. Yeah. Cause also I remember uh, at one point, this might've been in the nineties, there was a period where Marvel did a thing where like it sort of segmented all its comics off and had editors in charge of each section. Right. And they didn't really, I mean, they were supposed to like all work together, but it, 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 well, it did feel isolating. It's like, Oh, these are the Avengers and these are the Spider-Man books. And then here's like, the other characters, which was like the Hulk and Ghost Rider. And it was just in these little corners. Cause I think it's just like, no one could manage all of it. Yeah. But it's like, you sort of need someone to manage all of it. If it's really going to work. Yeah. You, you or need at to... least to micromanage all of it. Yeah. Um, did we have another topic from Eric to you want to do? Yeah. We can fold that into, since we've talked about things, we can just go into our mailbag. Do you want to do awards real quick? Yes. Any, uh, what was your favorite, uh, I guess, do we, do we do favorite issue? Is that what we did last time? No, we just did random awards. Let's do favorite issue. Great. What's your favorite issue of this batch? My favorite issue is, um, uh, you're going to pick it too, but I'm going to say battle for the Baxter building. Yeah. I mean, I think that's gotta be the best of this run. Yeah. That's a nice peak. Daredevil is still really fun in that issue, but the thing ending is so great. And even the, the idea that the thing, which we didn't even touch upon in this episode, the idea that the thing was human and Reed had to give him his powers back to stop doom. Yeah, it's good. Like the thing was cured. Um, what moments stand out when you think back on these issues? Any like images? Like what's the torch shaving the Submariner's beard? <laughs> moment that like for some you know whether it's a big story moment or not it stays with you um well thing crushing doom's hands for sure yeah is there um there's also i think johnny chasing the ff when you think he's a villain scary like because the thing there's the ff have sort of pulled thing away and are sort of towing the thing with them and johnny's chasing them down yeah that's sort of a cool moment that i remember and i'm nothing to the level of I really remember Reed getting shoved in a jar. <laughs> uh, just like, that's a weird move. You just, it seems yeah. like a horrific fate for your friend. <laughs> yeah. And maybe physically weird. Like what? Reed's body just has fewer molecules in it now or something. Medusa hanging outside the Baxter building by her hair stands out to me. Yeah. Um, as much as I really like these issues, they don't, there's no like, they don't highlight, they don't feel like highlights to me. They're just like really good. Yeah, I guess that's what's different between these and the next issues, which have a million standout moments. Yeah. Um, they're just great. Yeah, they're just great. They're just merely really well-executed superhero stories. Um, well, let's go on to our mailbag. Great. Uh, I want to talk about something. I got this actually on July 22nd, so this is old. Okay. But this is a tweet that was sent to me. We're recording I, this on New Year's Eve. <laughs> that's right. New Year's Eve 2024. Yep. Uh, this is July 22nd, 2019. Mm-hmm. So it's five years ago. No. Uh, we'll use our time machine to drop this earlier, though, right? That's I assume. That's why, that's why I invented it. Okay. Uh, we got this tweet from Dave White that I think is really cool. And maybe this is just the, the dad in me, but I'm going to read it anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, his son, six years old, has had a steady diet of Captain Underpants books Uh, And screw it comics on the early days of Kirby Lee Fantastic Four books in the car on the way to the pool. Mm. It has inspired him, whether he realizes it or not, to this incredible burst of creativity. For hours, he'll sit and create comic books with all new characters. Mm. Everything has to be new and full of ideas. New superheroes, new teams. He does it at the expense of Wii time, uh, Nintendo Wii, uh, which was his last interest. It is so cool to watch. Oh, wow. And uh, I think that's so fantastic that a kid thinking about Kirby or Captain Underpants getting partial credit, uh, wanting to create ideas to be like Kirby, not just to like write, uh, 
Fantastic Four stories. He wants to write his own stuff. Yeah. Uh, I don't like it. I feel that that oh, Wii interesting. Is, I feel like the Wii is being neglected. Okay. I mean, the, the Wii is an old system. Get this kid a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> that's what I say. Spend some money. <laughs> no, that's really cool. Um, great. Uh, I'm going to read a couple emails we've gotten. All right. You ready for this? I am prepared. Great. Here's an email from uh, Cutlass Puppet. Okay. So he Real didn't name. sign it, so I don't know his name. Cutlass Puppet 79. Um, he brings up that uh, one of our favorite things in Marvel's Will and I is that we have uh, the law, how the prison system works. Right. <laughs> and so he brings up the fact that Sue's dad gets 20 years for manslaughter. Right. The Vulture and Doc Ock both got released for good behavior <laughs> after six months. <laughs> the Vulture getting released really made me laugh. Yeah. Uh, he also mentions in the Diablo issue, the FF figure out his nefarious plan, but are helpless to do anything because he hasn't broken any laws. <laughs> Diablo is like, you know, giving people false potions. Yeah. Uh, he says, I think it's funny when they choose limits to limit the FF because of legalese. Yeah. Like they don't arrest Doom because he's a diplomatic and because of diplomatic immunity. <laughs> he was firing weapons across New York City, but uh, he's a diplomat. Yeah. That stuff's very funny. Anyway, no question there, but just a fun email. Yeah. Uh, great. Let's move on. I'm going to save. Uh, so Connor Martin wrote this email, and I think you're going to agree with me on this. But okay. you guys have talked at length about the Fantastic Four being adapted as a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was wondering what you guys thought about the prospect of F4 being adapted as a Disney Plus series instead. It isn't possible to give each member their own film like Marvel did with the Avengers as they are a family. But a show could allow for proper development of each member of the team but it still allowed them to exist in the wider universe and even appear in movies. Uh, yeah. And my answer to that is I would, I'm always in favor of comic books being a well done television show before movie. Yeah. It's more suitable adaptation, you know, episodic and ongoing. Yeah. But um, selfishly, I would like the FF to have a movie just because that's how the American public gets to know you. Yeah. Like if there were a great FF movie, then the FF is part of the public consciousness, just selfishly in a way that I would like to see happen. Yeah. There's some, if they're not a movie, they will feel lesser than. Like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is not as big as The Avengers. And even the Netflix uh, Daredevil. Um, he, he feels UK separate. Stuff. Yep. I agree with that, though. I do think like a great live action. I mean, I'd love a live action Spider-Man show. I'd love. Yeah. If the, if the effects are good. It gives you time to do subplots and slow develop relationships and things like that in a way yeah. that you just can't do in movies. So you're right. missing a lot of in-between time. You, you can't do a downtime story. It's weird. You know, like DC is good at TV shows and Marvel's good at movies. You can't do This Man, This Monster as a movie. But you could do it as like... Not quite enough, but it'd be an amazing episode. Right. Um. It would be better a better adaptation, but I selfishly want that movie for its impact. All right, Disney, don't make that show. You heard us. We do not greenlight it. Uh, we got uh, an email from uh, Justin Bridge, mm-hmm. who's emailed us a number of times, friend of the show, F-O-S. friend of the humans, uh, <laughs> us. Yeah. Um, and he's sent a lot of things, a couple of things. Um, I'm not going to read all of his email, but I'm going to talk about a couple of things. One thing. We talked about Galactus and how we think we wonder if his design could possibly work in a movie. Right. He thinks MCU watchers are ready okay, for a yeah. Kirby Galactus. Interesting. The I think as long movie, as you don't have the big old G on it, it would work. Well, he, so he says the movie General Populous has witnessed and survived two alien invasions of Earth. Uh, so it's he thinks they would accept another. Um, the snap has happened. So he thinks like at that point, anything can happen, but also he says, we've seen Kirby stuff lifted in Thor Ragnarok and it worked. Um, he thinks if, as you pointed out that if you just point out that Galactus just appears like a human, yeah, people would accept that. Yeah. And, uh, in Thor Ragnarok, Hela had the Kirby design helmet and it looked great. So he thinks maybe that Galactus helmet would work. I do trust Kirby's instincts in a way that if he thought it was good, even if I'm looking at it like it looks nuts, that Kirby has a better instinct for visual design than me is kind of what I think. Uh, a couple more things that Justin emailed in. Uh, one thing is a lot of people have been emailing us with their thoughts on a movie, and almost everybody, I would say, has the idea that that the FF have existed for a while 
and are trapped somewhere and are like sort of give them this retro nostalgic feel. Uh, and then they kind of come back. Right. It's a weird thing where everyone wants them to predate the Avengers in some way, shape or form where I, I, I don't care about that. I like the idea of having their first adventure being the negative zone, but I don't need them to predate Iron Man. But anyway, yeah. Justin has a different idea for the movie, which most people uh, have been saying kind of the same thing. He thinks that it should be multiple stories focusing on each of the four with a fifth story kind of woven through. Uh, we get Johnny, perhaps with Spider-Man, Thing versus Yancey Street, Reed versus Lab, Sue keeping it all together, um, sort of a Tarantino-esque st- storytelling style. Uh, and that sounds interesting to me. I think that could work. Yeah, sounds like it could. I don't know. I like a, a different take on it at the very least. Yeah. Um, we're, all, we're all obsessed with the MCU and its impact on things. Um I don't know, man. The FF's a challenge. How do you how do you make it not redundant with the Avengers and everything else? There's just been so much done already. I'm sure it's possible, but that's a challenge. Um, Justin also has a comment about the Frightful Four. Okay. He thinks that they are the four elements of things you'd hate to find in a restaurant. <laughs> Sticky things, sand, hair, and smarmy people who keep telling you how smart they are. <laughs> not a bad theory it's a good unifying theme they're the anti-restaurant four yeah i think that's a very funny uh that's the main uh point i i wanted to pull out because those do just feel like four random characters but now maybe they work together <laughs> uh two more emails well you ready for them i am ready we got another email from our human torch correspondent shelly okay good what's news uh, on the human torch front she, she wants to make it clear that she does not hold any expectations that her emails may be part of our show She's just a fan that likes what we're doing. And while it's nice to hear my thoughts and gender shared, uh, I'm quite, uh, uh, she doesn't expect it. Uh, but anyway, I'm reading her third email. It's okay. getting read because I can't stop reading them. So um, this is her Human Torch correspondent hot take. She believes the Marvel Universe would not exist without Johnny Storm. <laughs> this is the kind of bravado I like in my takes. Yeah, this is the man. I couldn't not read this with this claim. Um, because of the panel she sent before, which was from Amazing Spider-Man, where Human Torch convinced Peter to take back up the mantle of Spider-Man, we have Spider-Man we know and love today. Without that conversation, there would be no Spider-Man. Ergo, no Marvel Universe. Um, I That's not the worst theory that I've ever heard. I love this argument that... You Spider-Man, Human Torch is more important than Spider-Man, even though part of her conversation says that without Spider-Man, there is no Marvel Universe. Well, it's just sort of like you could say that John Kennedy was one of the most important presidents because he started the program to get to the moon. If someday like America's technology in the space race becomes a huge part of our country's you know, whatever, then John Kennedy retroactively becomes one of the most important presidents, not even for all the things that happened during his term. Something like that. You know what I mean? Like, so you're saying Johnny Storm is sort of the John F. Kennedy of the Marvel universe. Yes, I am. Um, I mean, you know, Johnny did prod Spider-Man as sort of a rival and competitively and like, yes, got, got him going again. You could argue that, um, Spidey gives up without the torch out there. Yeah, I think this is – I'm on board with this. All right. You're convinced. I love it. Um, she also sent us her Human Torch correspondent ratings because she's been rating our podcast. She doesn't give us a rating in this specific email, but her rating system goes from Dumpster Fire at 1 to Nova Blast at 10. Okay. And anything that ends in Nova Blast, I sort of love. Yeah. I, I don't think we've earned a Nova Blast, but we can aspire to it someday. Yeah, yeah. At best, we are a 6 – what would you say we are on a 1 to 10, Will? And I'll tell you what rating you got. Uh, I'd say we're a seven. Seven? That's a flamethrower. Not bad. Uh, not bad, yeah. Anyway, thanks for writing, Shelly. Keep us uh, posted on how well we're doing talking about Johnny. And finally, uh, we have an email from our uh, friend, Eric Tenoy. Okay. It's a very formal email. He calls us podcast hosts, even though we both know him very well. Yep. Um, let's say you were just given control over a live-action Fantastic Four movie. You have complete control over everything, except due to copyright issues, none of the characters can have their original powers or each other's powers. So you have to assign them each new powers. Okay. Their other personality traits and backstory stay the same. What powers would you give them? For the Fantastic Four, obviously. That's right. So like the thing can't be super strong. Right. 
Super Strong is not available to us for whatever copyright issues. We can have okay. the thing. He's Ben Grimm. He can be stuck as a monster, but he can't be strong. I have an answer to this. Great. Instead of do I because I always like the very loose organization that the FF correspond to the elements. That's never really said, but I just personally like thinking of them that way. Air, water, earth, and fire. Yes. So if I can't use that, I want to use another grouping. So I think I'm going to use the laws of physics and I'll have one person is gravity. I'll make that Ben Grimm. Uh, One person is electricity and I'll make that Johnny. Uh, One person is um, magnetism and I'll make that Sue. And then one person is um, sort of like Black Bolt style, once at a blue moon, nuclear uh, fusion. And I'll make that read. Okay. What are their actual powers? So Ben can control gravity. He can like make things heavier, light. It's kind of like, I guess, uh, G-Force guy. Yeah. From Power Graviton, the villain. Yeah. Um, You can have redundant powers here. Uh, Johnny's like Electro. He can just shoot electricity. Sue is a magnetism. So she's a magneto. Oh shoot. These are all taken. Okay. (laughs) They can be taken. No, no. Allowed them to be taken. We just, they can't be taken by the fantastic four. Okay. And then Reed is nuclear fusion. Like he, he can basically release in like nuclear power. He just has to do it selectively. He's got the brains to know how to handle it. Like he can create a nuclear reactor and power something. Or Mm -hmm. if it's on another planet, he can release an explosion. Um, that's a boring answer. That that's mine. I don't. I already don't like it. <laughs> I mean, it's tough because their powers are so ingrained into who they are, right? Yeah. I think the thing still needs to be a monster, to me. Mm-hmm. But maybe he could be like a um, like a a, a werewolf type monster. I don't okay. think that'd be a huge change. That's a pretty drastic power change. Okay. Um, but personality Johnny, wise, might be good. And I like that Johnny is sort of uh, uh, very offensive, his weapons. Yeah. So um, I like that he can shoot lasers and stuff like that. So maybe I just make him almost more like, make if I can steal other person's powers, take like the living laser, who's sort of a lame Marvel hero. Uh, he can be the living laser, like, or even Captain Marvel, uh, uh, Monica Rambeau's powers. He can like turn into light and shoot beams. So there, I'll steal her powers. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Sue, I think you, she needs to have very versatile powers. Mm-hmm. So what would I give her? Um, so I got uh, sort of lasers. I've got a werewolf. No. <laughs> so I'm kind of doing some sort of weird. Uh, 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 maybe she can she can control machines. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what she can do. She can control. Uh, uh, Machines. You can control computers and machines with her mind. Okay. That's very powerful. And uh, Reed um, can uh, poop out dollar bills. <laughs> well, they'll never be prey to the Submariner's movie contract <laughs> that's right, again that's if right. that's possible, as long as he doesn't hurt the economy. I ran out of steam by the time I got to Reed. I don't have a good answer for that. Um, um, but I would want uh, to make sure Ben was still ugly and that Johnny was still I'm gonna, a power I, that like led you into going uh, diving into battle. Because I think those are two fun traits of their powers. I see how you and are would inspired be, by their personality and the way their powers affect their character. So I want to pick new ones. And I, and I wouldn't want Sue to have a power that didn't let her, made her in the back. Like I wouldn't want her to be like a master of disguise or something. Yeah. I think that's too defensive. Right. You like that she has the shields that make her offensive. Yeah, that she can kind of do it all. So you have new answers? Re- ben, ben is trapped in a... His soul is trapped in the body of a refrigerator. Okay, great. Johnny has an electric guitar that shoots out force waves that can knock people over. A la okay. the Spider-Man PS4 electric guitar costume. Mm-hmm. Sue um, is, can, is like an empath. She can increase and decrease emotions. In people. Okay. Uh, and Reed uh, has the ability to turn his fingers into little snake heads that can bite you. Okay. Like an Egyptian snake god somehow is part of his powers. So uh, Reed isn't can turn into an eagle. No, okay. no. Johnny turns into uh, uh, Johnny turns into an eagle. Okay. Uh, uh, Reed turns into a puppy dog. Nice. 
Sue turns into a cat, a big cat. Uh, so like a, a leopard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, reads a wolf. Uh, uh, but he can turn. They can all turn back. Uh, but Thing is stuck as an armadillo. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We figured it out. There we go. So it's three people who can turn into animals and their armadillo friend, Ben Grimm. <laughs> uh, Kevin, did we do it? I think that's it. That's our episode. All right. So uh, next episode, we're going to get into the some of the very best issues that have ever been done in Marvel Comics. Um, if you want to email us, please email us at screwitspidey at gmail. Confusingly, we kept our email from our first season. Um, and then check out... Our Instagram, Screw It Comics, where Kevin puts awesome panels from the comics that we're talking about. And uh, Twitter is Screw It Comics. That's right. Yeah, follow us on all those things. And please email us. So there's a bunch of emails that I still have to go through that we uh, that I haven't read yet. So I hope we get to those. I'll reply to them at least through email, if not on our podcast. And again, next episode, we're going to cover issues 44, 45, 46, and 47. And they're good. They're more than good. This is these are legendary comic. They're maybe the reasons we're doing this season of the podcast. Yeah, if we if we had to uh, if we had to do it issue by issue, I think we would have only done forty four to fifty. Uh, yeah, fifty. Um, or fifty two, fifty three. Finish up the uh, Black Panther stuff. That's right. Um. All right, everybody. Well, th- thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode. Yeah, we'll keep it confusing. Keep it confusing, everybody. Bye. Bye. Screw it, screw it. We're just gonna talk about comics. TMZ, E, MTV, Refinery29. What do all these companies have in common? They bring you celebrity news and they didn't hire me. You know I had to do it to them. That's what I bring to you, Extra Extra, on Campfire Media Podcasting Network. Extra Extra is a hot buffet of all the delicious celebrity news and gossip you want and need. According to me, because my opinion is the only one that matters, obviously, tune in every Tuesday as my guests and I share our unwanted and unfiltered opinions on all your favorite celebs. No celeb is safe. I'm looking at you, Mila Kunis. Listen now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Campfire.